We're sinning by thinking God is punishing us. If you want to know what your really sin, your true sin is and how you're keeping yourself back, sin is restrictive and it's a manipulation of truth. If you want to see sin, start beating yourself up when you make a mistake. Have you ever asked yourself what God's plan for you was or if you were missing his calling on your life? What about when we don't spend time with God in the word or in prayer? Does he punish me because I had a negative thought? These are just some of the questions we are talking about this week. By tackling these questions, we get to see different perspectives of God and try to understand who he is to us. Take a listen as we dive into some of the most popular asked questions about God and who knows, maybe you'll find a new perspective along the way. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the answers. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave, we are bold, we are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 75. And today we are running down a few common questions slash doubts that we have about God. And uh, I kind of like was in my head calling this episode Crap We Think About God, but I I don't think that's going to be the official title. But It's basically in question format, but it's things that we often find ourselves believing about God, uh, telling ourselves about God that are just not truthful. And so I'm really excited about just running these down. It's just some stuff that uh, Elaine and I have been talking about kind of behind the scenes a little bit, and we're going to share it with you guys. But before we get into that, a couple of quick things. Shameless plug here, my new podcast, Itinerant, is out and into the world. There's a new episode coming out this week. If you're listening on launch day, Thursday, another new episode is dropping. Episode number four, I would highly encourage you if you like biblical history, if you don't like biblical history, probably not for you, but if you're listening to a show about um, New Age Christians and alt-Christianity and such like you are, then uh, maybe you would enjoy it. So if you like biblical history from outside the perspective of the Bible, that is the goal over at Itinerant. It's a a different format than this show, but it's my passion project. So if you like it, head over to itinerantpodcast.com. Also, if you have not done so, so far, hop over to therecklesspursuit.com forward slash subscribe, or just go to our website, find our email list, sign up. Elaine and I send out exclusive content just to our people who are faithful subscribers on the email list. They get all kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, and we want you to be a part of that as well. And with that being said, also, Nomads, you've heard it before if you've listened. If not, it's a private group. Go join it in the show notes below because we want to hear your heart on these topics. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to keep the conversation going. So, Elaine, you got anything? I was going to say, I also write blog posts each week, so they come out every Wednesday. And so I just kind of, again, write a little bit about behind the scenes or something that really stood out to me for the specific episode of that week or just something that I'm dealing with on my heart. And so you can find that every Wednesday at our website. Yes, and you get um, even more of that if you're on the subscribe yeah. thing. So you should do that. Just saying. You should definitely do that. I'm not saying you're going to hell if you don't, but 
but the Lord definitely wants you to be on our subscription list, which is probably not actually God's intent. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't either. We're talking about things that uh, we often kind of ask ourselves about God or that we believe about God in the form of questions. Let's get right to it. Yeah. All right. Question number one, Elaine. So does God punish me when I sin? Have you ever asked this to yourself? Like, oh, or have you ever done something and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like you feel the weight of God's pun, like you're scared God's going to punish you for it. Have you ever had that? Um, not really in my adult life, probably more in childhood and youth and maybe even being a teenager of being afraid of God punishing me for some, for not obeying my parents or something like that. But I haven't really, really gone through any of that as an adult. I feel like you are one of the few because I have. Uh, I've done it numerous times where if someone was like, for instance, whenever you were in the hospital last year or random things whenever any kind of something happens that like throws off like my life or there's just like tragedy or not even that big it could just be like little things like oh i'm not feeling well today or something i'm just like god's punishing me for some sin some unknown sin or i did something and god is like punishing me for that and i was kind of inadvertently raised to think that i think a lot of us are in church of oh if i do something wrong god is going to punish me for my sin or he's going to blot me out of the Lamb's Book of Life, or, you know, I, I like it best said in Bruce Almighty, where he's like, smite me, almighty smiter. And then he says, like, God is a mean uh, kid with a magnifying glass on a sunny day, and we're just a bunch of ants. And, like, we kind of take that mentality to God as like, oh, yeah, he's up there just waiting to fry our butts when we screw up. You know, God's got the the pit of hell is kind of like a lever, and we're all standing on the platform just waiting for it to get yanked. And I know that all seems like a bit dramatic, but I think we kind of view God that way. And that's not truthful. God has no desire to punish us. I'm not saying there's not consequence, right? Because with any kind of thing, if you go out and um, if you're a chain smoker, there could be consequences with lung problems. If you constantly lie, sooner or later you're going to get caught in that web, right? Like there are consequences to our actions, but that's ne necessarily God's punishment. I and think God's more redemptive. Yeah. Than that. And it's important to understand of, yes, sin has its consequences. If you're a chain smoker, your chances of getting cancer later on in life incredibly increase. Like I'm not saying you were going to have cancer because you smoked all your life, but that's just a byproduct of it. If you are in, a, in multiple affairs and cheating on your spouse, an effect of that is your kids having a false view of what a strong marriage should look like. Yeah. However, God isn't going to give you cancer because you didn't ask for forgiveness when you lied to your parents, or God isn't going to give you a life-threatening disease or kill you or, or kill a family member because... I don't know, you cheated on an exam or something. Like, God doesn't punish you because of your sin. However, just the way natural order works, sin inevitably has negative consequences. Something that's really interesting to me is you see, specifically talking, it's a sad thing to talk about, you think about children being sick, right? You think about St. Jude and, like, children having cancer, children having ailments or, or things like that, and you're like, oh, well, okay, so by that logic, by a lot of teaching that we do in church, most certainly that is due to like 
a generational sin of a parent or something, right? And I know as a as a parent, I couldn't I'm like I'm not a parent yet, but I could imagine the guilt that you could have of like, oh, because um, you know, I secretly struggle with pornography or something that my my child is now inflicted with this ailment. You think of Job, right? The story of Job of like uh Satan just marches up into into like God's throne room and he's like, Yo, you know that guy Job who's never done anything wrong in his life? Let's let's screw with him. And God's up there like, hmm, yeah, okay. Sure, go for it. Just don't kill him. You can kill his mom. You can kill his dad. You can kill his family. You can kill his wives. You can kill his kids. You can kill his donkeys. You can kill his bulls. You can kill his grass. You can take his land. You can do whatever you want. You can give him boils. You can give him lesions. You can give him disease, sickness. Bring him to the, uh, you know, the edge of his death. Oh, and make his friends be really annoying. Just don't take his life. That would be too easy, right? And you're like, wow, God is a piece of crap. <laughs> Like, what? he is a really terrible person just to prove a point to some angel that he created that we say he threw out of heaven. Like, for one, why is Satan up in the courtroom? I thought he was cast out. Yeah. Uh, for two, why would God allow such things? Like, that's just really, really crappy if that's, like, truthful. And you got to kind of, like, realize, like, that's not a lot of, like, Job is allegorical. Like, it's it's talking about a man it's kind of talking to the whole thing, bad things happen to good people sometimes, right? It's not saying, like, God is unjust and inflicted all this stuff. Satan is more depicted of circumstance, right? It's these uncontrollable circumstances that happen, and Job had a really bad string of luck but remained faithful to God. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the story is, like, even in the crap, even in all of, like, what life threw at Job, and we say Job remained faithful. There was a time he was pretty wavering on that, right? Like, he was pretty fed up. He was like, God, why don't you just go ahead and kill me off too while you're at it? And what he's saying is Job didn't have this sin, and that was kind of the whole thing is, like, he had friends like, or it was either his his wife that ended up dying or his friends. I don't remember which one it was, but it's like, you. I think it was his friends. It's like, you obviously have this hidden sin. You're not telling anyone. God wouldn't do this to you if you didn't have this hidden sin. And, and Job is like, no, you don't get it. I don't. I don't have this. And I think we, I, I can relate to that sometime. It's like, I'm just like, God, what have I done to piss you off today? Like, what is going on? Why are you doing And God's up there like, hey, man, it's not me. This is just life. And God is not meddling in these constant affairs. God can take you out of those things, I believe. God can heal. There is such thing as healing. There is miracles. There is divine intervention. But God's not up there like, hey, man, I, uh, yeah, that drunk driver that hit you the other day and totaled your car. Yeah, like I did that just because you uh, you looked at that girl weird the other day when you walked by her or you had this really strange thought about stealing from your work or something, which I can say that because we work for ourselves, so we can't actually like steal from ourselves. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, like God's like, yep, going to smite you for that one later. I don't think... Like, that's just what kind of terrible, well, like, that God makes God much more like Satan, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, God doesn't keep record of your wrongdoings. God, God doesn't, like we've talked about before, God's not going to write your name every time you do a good thing and then erase it every time you do a, quote, bad thing. Yeah. Like, God's not keeping record of all these things that you think that you're sinning in. And, and some of it, it's not even like, oh, I did this really bad thing. It's like, oh, I didn't listen to God or, oh, I didn't pray today, so God's mad at me and he's not going to bless me. Like, 
there are little things like that where you think, oh, well, God's punishing me because I didn't talk to him today or God's punishing me because I didn't pay for that person's meal when I had an unction to do so. Like, mm-hmm. like God just doesn't have a running tab on all the times you screw up or, or might screw up or whatever. Yeah, because if that were the case, like he if he's um if he's omniscient and that is all knowing then like then you could get into the whole thing of God's punishing you for something you haven't done yet that he knows you're going to do that's like uh, a parent who sees a toddler like thinking like hmm I could do I could go push that off the the edge of the you know I can go push that cup off the edge of the table it won't matter like you can see the gears turning and the parents like already yelling like don't you dare but they didn't actually do it there's no sin in temptation right so, no, God is not punishing you. There is such thing as conviction. Like, we can get convicted of, like, you know, the difference in that kind of the the, um, the parabolic way I just kind of stated that is, well, if you have a kid about to push, like, you can see his thinking, you can, like, God's the parent going, hey, maybe maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe, maybe you should pick the glass up and move it. Maybe you shouldn't just knock it off the table. And then the child may decide to go ahead and knock it off the table anyway. But... God's not up there yelling at us every time we make a mistake. He's forgiving. He's redemptive. And the punishment, a lot of times, this is kind of where I want to hop off this question here, but just the last kind of final thing I think is most of the time the punishment is actually self-induced. We actually beat ourselves up over these little things that we do. We we tear ourselves a new one over just the craziest stuff, that whole like, oh, I'm worthless, I've done such a terrible thing, like, God must hate me. We beat ourselves senseless. And you end up talking yourself out of a blessing that God could have wanted for you. Yeah, for sure. You don't give him room to work to bless you and love you anyway because you're so hard on yourself. So the next thing, and just to sum that one up, does God punish you when you sin? No, God does not punish you when you sin. There is consequence but these are natural things in order. But God is not going to give you a disease for telling a lie. God is like all these things. All that stuff is just this weird manipulative crap, and it's holding us back from living in grace, which is what Jesus came to offer, right? So we're we're sinning by thinking God is punishing us. If you want to know what your really sin, your true sin is, and how you're keeping yourself back, sin is restrictive and it's a manipulation of truth. If you want to see sin, start beating yourself up when you make a mistake, especially when you're trying to do good. Like that's all we can do is give our best. And if you're giving your best, you still make a mistake, which we all do. The sin comes in the self-punishment. The, like it's really um, a gluttony of pain that you're inflicting on yourself because it gives you the self-righteous vindication that, um, oh, you're making it better or you're justifying your sin. So that was my, I'm done rambling on that one. On to the next point. Does God use me to do his bidding? Hmm. Does God use people? I just want to start by saying the wording, and we all have probably used this wording of like, Lord, just use me today to reach out, to touch your people, to minister your love, yada, yada, yada. God, use me in this situation. Use me to do this. Use me to do that. I want to say real quick that I understand the sentiment of that, but that is a very hurtful terminology to a lot of people, especially people who have been victimized, like, albeit like sexually or even like emotionally to be used by someone. I would never tell my like 
want my wife, like I wouldn't looking at you, Elaine, I would never want you to walk and say, just use me today. Like, think about that. Would you walk up to your boss and be like, sir, could you just use me today? Just use me to do your bidding. Could you walk up to your spouse? Or let's just do it this way, because we think of like God the father or God the mother. Like, walk up to your dad or your mom, just be like, just use me to do your bidding today. Like, I just want you to use me. I think of like parents living vicariously through their children, like who didn't get to play sports when they were kids, weren't like the star athlete. It's just like, son, I want you to go and be the star athlete so I can live vicariously through your achievements. That just seems so weird to me. I don't know. Elaine, what do you think? I don't know, because I've prayed that prayer many times, like even in adulthood. Like, I don't, like, I understand what you mean, like, as it could have a negative connotation, especially people have been used and abused by people of authority, not, not even just in church, but especially in church and pastors and all that stuff. But I also understand what people mean whenever they pray, like, God used me in this situation, because when you think of it on the flip side, when you think of it as in a positive light of God use me today, like whatever you have for me, however you want me to speak into somebody else's life, however you want me to, you know, share your love or however you want to use me to be a good friend today and, and speak into somebody's um, life if they're going through something or encourage them. How can you use me to encourage and motivate and inspire me? Like I, I pray that prayer all the time of use me in these opportunities. But I can definitely see the negative side too of like you wouldn't go ask your parents to for them to use you like you like you said you wouldn't ask your spouse or a friend to use you and because that can be very mistreated into abusing people. Mm -hmm. I think the answer to this question is maybe, maybe, maybe. Like, it's probably a maybe. Like, if you have a beef with the word use, like, there's two different ways you can mean that, really. Like, I don't think God is using you for his own personal gain. I think God can use circumstances. And I think God, I don't think we're just a tool at God's disposal. I think it's more intimate relationship than that. But I also think that on the flip side to that, like there is a co-laboring with him. Mm -hmm. It's like, show me how I can benefit those around me. Show me how I can like give me divine wisdom. When you, when most people say like, use me, God, I think that's what they're really praying is like, God, give me divine wisdom. But I think I just wanted to clarify that God isn't just using you like you're some kind of tool yeah. because then you think of like, well, you know, as a musician, like this is this is kind of the best way to think. Like a tool, a drummer uses a drumsticks, right? When you break a drumstick, you toss it out. It's not good anymore. We don't try to fix it. We don't try to mend it. They're cheap and disposable. They're there to do the will of the drummer. When they break, you get a new pair. That's not the relationship there. Like I use drumsticks. I use tools. If my laptop goes dead, I go get a new laptop. It's a tool to me. I don't have this intimate relationship with my laptop. But at the same time, you could argue like, there are times that my wife uses me for things. Like if she asks me to go grab her a glass of water, like she's not using me though, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just like this abuse. It's not a use abuse. It's use as in like coming together to co-labor to achieve a goal. Well, and we're not tools for Christ. And the way I understand that is God's not using as a tool as whenever he gets the job done, oh, he just goes to the next person. We're right. swept away. 
but we're actually living vessels of how, you know, if we are made out of God's image, if God walks among us, if God is within our spirits, then we are that living vessel of how we can love other people, how we can encourage people and inspire people and be there for people. And I think whenever you look at it through the lens of a living vessel, that's not something you can just use and abuse and mistreat and use as a tool and just throw away whenever you're finished. God doesn't throw us away whenever he's finished with us Mm -hmm. because there's an active relationship, an ongoing forever relationship. And I think if if you see it in that light, maybe change your wording or maybe change your understanding, whatever, like we said, maybe God uses us. Maybe God uses us, but doesn't use that language. I don't know. But I, I think you can go both ways with that. I think it's just, it depends on the attitude. And to sum it up, does God use us? The answer to that is it depends on your definition of use because uh, for God to use us as a tool and then once we are burnt out or broken to cast us out, which is what happens a lot in faith circles. Let's just be honest. They're used as a tool, burn up and cast out. And then they're seen as heretics because they acknowledge their abuse. Right. So that being said, if God were to cast out people as just like tools when they burn out, then he would be casting out a part of himself because God is in all of us. And in essence, like we are an echo of him. And so to cast us out is to cast himself out. It would almost be like, you know, you casting a piece of yourself away. Like, I don't need my arm anymore. I don't need a heart anymore. Just toss that out. That doesn't happen. That's not that's not beneficial to anyone to do that. Like that's in essence, God casting us off would be self mutilation to himself. Like, right? It's mm-hmm. it's it's self mutilation. Like God is literally dismembering himself. And uh yeah, not cool. So God doesn't use you, but he does co labor with you. So if you want to use that wording, that's fine. Just understand, like if you have issues with that wording, that's that's what we're talking about. It's a co laborment, it's a relationship. All right, next. Does God have a plan for you? What if you miss his calling? I've talked a lot on this one before, so I'm just going to turn it over to you, Elaine. Well, if you've been following us for any significant amount of time, you have heard us talk about this. Like Cody was saying, like you, you've heard us, you've heard our opinions on this. And the way we see it is God doesn't necessarily have a plan for you because plans change. Things happen. But God does have a purpose for you. And I think we kind of confuse the two of, well, I think God has a plan for me to be a doctor, but really God's purpose for you is just to help people, whether that looks like a doctor or a counselor or an artist or, you know, what, however you can help people. And Mm -hmm. I think that especially for people either going into college or transitioning out of college into the career and workplace, those are two specific times in people's lives where they're like, well, I just don't know what God's plan for me is. I've gone through three different major changes within my school career. I thought I wanted to do do this, but now my heart's, I think my heart's telling me this. Or in career, you're, you graduate with whatever major you had, whatever your diploma is, and you go into the workplace workplace and you're like, actually, I don't want to do this with my life. And I think we feel like we get sidetracked because we don't know what God's plan is for us. We don't know what God's purpose for for us. And we just really get confused and bogged down. And then we just pick something 
that we don't actually really have a passion for just because we feel like we're trying to pursue God's plan for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a, I mean, I think that happens at every phase of life. Like when you have kids, uh, you know, oh, what is God's plan? When you hit a midlife crisis, what am I doing with my life, right? That's kind of the equivalent of like, wh- why am I here? What is my purpose? That's man's ultimate desire, especially in our cultures. What is my purpose? Why? What am I purposed to do? But a lot of times we look at purpose and we say, well, we got to make a plan. We got to make a plan. We got to make a plan. We got to get a game plan together. We got to have this plan. So this, this outline of plans, you think of like building something, there's got to be plans that show where every piece of wire goes, all these things go. But in reality, it's a purpose. And like you were saying, like God isn't waiting on you to um, pick the right door. You know, every door is unlocked and all doors lead to the same room next. It's literally just a line of doors that go into the same room. You know, you think of like walking into Walmart. You may come into one side of the store, you may come into the other, but both sides go into the same stupid store, right? You can come in through the tire department. You can come in through the back service way. You know, it doesn't matter which way you come in, you're all coming into the same store. And, And that's the beauty of God is his plans, as long as you're following after him, they're all, it's not a plan, it's a purpose. You're going to go into that one way or another. It may look different because you came in through a different door. You're in the grocery aisle instead of the pharmacy, but it's still doing the same thing. You can look at that literally. Like if your call is to help people, you could be a chef or you could be a pharmacist. Either way, you're still called to love on people and that's your purpose there. And you can do that through whatever means God has placed in your heart and however you so desire. He's not micromanaging your life and you're not going to miss it, which is the other part of that. What if I miss his calling? If you're worried about missing his calling, you're not going to. If you've ever had the thought of what if I miss his calling or what is God's calling for my life, you're not going to miss it because you're seeking it. If you're seeking it, you've already found it. The moment you start looking, the moment it's there. You can't miss God's calling for your life. Even if you feel like you missed an opportunity in life, you're not missing God's calling for your life. So, Well, I feel like if God has a calling for our life, but we, quote, miss opportunities, I think that's another thing of where we get confused of, oh, I didn't take that opportunity. I must have gone the wrong path. But I kind of think of opportunities as you can either take it or not. Like there's no obligation to take an opportunity. If you are seeking to be a public speaker or an author and you you have these opportunities to speak at your local church or your local school or whatever, or um, people want you to write in the newspaper and all this stuff. Like if you feel that calling on your life to be that, it doesn't really matter what opportunity you take. That's going to, it's inevitable. If you really feel like you have a calling to be a public speaker or an author, somehow, some way that is going to work itself out. And like Cody was saying, if you're worried about missing it, you're already pursuing your calling. If you're worried about not being a public speaker or an author, but you have a podcast or you blog on the side, like you are pursuing that calling. Or if you just acknowledge the desire. Yeah. You don't even have to like, quote unquote, worry about it. As long as you acknowledge the desire, you're already pursuing it. I think a good way to look at it is, uh, think of like going to a restaurant. God's plan for you uh, isn't a thing. God's purpose for you is much more like, it's less ordering off a menu and more going down the buffet line, right? It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever you so desire to pick up, whatever you're in the mood for that day, it's still the ultimate purpose of getting you full, right? So it's not like this plan of I have to order this and this and this and tell them what I do want and what I don't want. And it comes out on this nice plate and that's all I get. It's, it's a buffet. I want a little chicken. I want to, you know, I want some crab. I want some corn. Like you just pick up what you want and God says, here's your spread. 
it's all fulfilling the same purpose, which is to get you full. Same thing in life. All right, so does God uh, have a plan for you, and what if you miss his calling? Uh, no, God does have a purpose for you, though, and what if you miss his calling? You won't if you're even asking. So if you're asking that, good job. You haven't. Next question. Does God change his mind? Oh, man. So in Malachi, it's like what? I am the Lord and I change not. God doesn't change. How many times you heard that one? God isn't going to change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot change. He is always who he is. I am that I am. I'm going to read in Exodus. Exodus 32. I'm going to skim through this. Starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. I know some of those stiff-necked people. I think I was a stiff-necked person when I had a neck injury a couple months ago. Anyway, so they're a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Pause for a second. God's literally saying to Moses, give me a second alone with these sorry suckers. I'll show them a lesson. Like I'm about to, I'm about to burn these sorry suckers up. You ever had that? Like, give me just one second alone. I swear I'm gonna ring. That's God right now. Like Moses is up on the mountain. God's down there. Uh, like they're making golden calves and crap. And Moses don't even know it. He just knows like God's po'd right now. Like God's like, give me a second. I'm about to show these sorry suckers what it's like. And uh, yeah. So it goes on. But Moses implored that the Lord, his God. Uh, to the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your, uh, to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. So Moses is literally like, hold up, God. Like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Like, maybe the Egyptians might look at us kind of weird and be like, man, their God's terrible. He brought them out there just to blow them up. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God's like, I am so sick of Israel and their griping ways. I'm going to wring them a new one. Moses is like, hold up, God. That might not look good on you. God's like, yeah, Moses, you're probably right. I guess I won't like release my fiery fury upon them. But God doesn't change his mind. I think that's important to realize is that they had an ongoing relationship. Like they had conversation and God's like, hey, like I really want to do this. I, I, you know, I, I have a plan for this. Mm-hmm. But God's plan changed. But his purpose was still the same. He still wanted his people to know him and understand what was going on. And Moses is like, hey, maybe the plan of burning them, like... <laughs> Cooking them yeah, probably ain't the best idea. Yeah, probably isn't the, the nicest, most loving way to get them to really probably looks love bad on you them. and have a relationship with you. And God's like, you know, you're right. You're right, Moses. But the thing is, I've had these conversations with you, with my friends before, of like, you know, I really want to just rip them a new one and yeah. tell them exactly how I feel. And you're like, well, maybe you can do it in a nicer way or maybe just kind of bite your tongue, don't say anything at all. <laughs> like, it's not that important to get upset over. And I, and again, that plan changed. Yeah. Can I take a second just to read one of my favorite Bible verses since it's right here with this passage? Sure. Okay, so Moses comes off the mountain, right? And he sees that they all like have this golden calf 
and he's sitting around like Aaron's like all like leading the Israelites to worship this golden cow. Moses is gone for like, I don't know, days, right? Up on the mountain, receiving commandments from God, comes down and Moses is like, well, what's going on, Aaron? Why are people worshiping this calf? Verse 24. So I said to them, let anyone who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Aaron's like, I don't know. I threw all the gold in the fire and a cow appeared. And so we're like, must be God. Worship it. I don't know. That has nothing to do with what we're talking no. about, but it's hilarious to me. It just shows. I thought your favorite Bible verse was about the do donkey talking. That one is one of my favorites. And then also the Bible verse that says, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? Because I feel that like every time you're like, hey, can you go get something out of the car at night? I'm like, babe, I've already taken off my shoes. I'm in my underwear. I don't want to get dressed to go outside. But okay. we live in the country, so it's okay. Okay, so that being said, all that aside, God does change his mind. You can change God's mind. That just goes back to showing this question ties in with the whole one on purpose uh, and, and plan. If God had a plan for you, then you would not be changing God's mind along the way. Well, God, I, you know, I, I pursued this law degree, but I think I really want to be an artist. If God's plan for you was like to be a lawyer, he'd be like, no, like, I'm sorry. Like, you do that, and I'm going to kill your kids, kill your grass, kill your calves, kill your wife, like all that stuff, like the whole Job situation, just kind of tying all these questions back together. That's not God. God is saying, yeah, like I, I agree. Like, you know, we were going this one direction, but I think you can do a lot of good things in this other direction too. Like that is of me. You're pursuing this as long as you're pursuing this with an attitude of, of just um, pursuing my purpose. Like you're doing good things with it. You're trying to be uh, a not a hindrance on humanity, but you're trying to uplift humanity. Like, let's do that. You're doing good. Like, you could do that through art. You can do it through law. You can do it through dance. You can do it through construction. However you want to do it, I'm for it. So, does God change his mind? The answer is yes. Now, that being said, there are some things where I understand when people are like, I am the Lord and I change not. Like, yes, God is still God, right? God still has a purpose, but the little mundane things, yes, you can change those. God is not, I think it's beautiful that Moses had written the tablets of the Ten Commandments on stone and then the stone broke, showing that like even in that change can happen. And I'm not saying like go violate the Ten Commandments, like I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like God is constantly shifting with us and he's walking with us and he's not set in stone. And I sense. think especially with his people throughout the Bible, throughout now, just throughout history and stuff, People have had, you know, what if we did this or what if we did that? Or, you know, I, I think God just walks with us every step of the way. And I think maybe like, you know, part of us has God within our spirit. You know, we we are made in the image of God. We walk, God walks with us. And I feel like whenever we change our minds about some things, God is like, okay, yeah, I can see that perspective. Maybe we can go with that and see see what happens, see see what we can make out of that. And if it doesn't work, God's not like, see, I told you we should have done the other mm -hmm. thing. God's that's like, good. okay, let's pivot to something else. Yeah, that's good. So next question, is GD using God's name in vain? Or is that the equivalent of God's name in vain? So is GD God's name in vain? Elaine, you want to talk on that? Well, so... I've never really been someone um, who was super offended by cussing. It just, I'm not going to go actively out of my way just to start throwing the F word and like every other sentence just because I can. I think that there's purpose. And I, I think sometimes 
cussing in general kind of sometimes people overuse it and then it kind of loses the validity of it. I think there's a time and place to use different words. Are you saying cursing is okay? I mean, I feel like there's a time and place for it. I mean, there's cursing in the Bible. Yeah. Literally the story of Samson, and it says, uh, they changed this in pretty much every other translation, but the KJV uh, used to say that Samson took the jaw of an ass and made an ass out of all of his um, attackers. Yeah. So literally, like, I took this uh, donkey and made a donkey of all of you. Sorry, yeah. suckers. So. I think, like, if you're just cussing just to be cussing, I think that's kind of stupid. I, I there are, Vocabulary is such a vast thing, and if the only word you can think of is the F word in every sentence, I feel like that's a little much. Right. But also, you know, like, the GD, you know, that's never really been offensive to me. I know a lot of people, especially in church, are like, oh, that's using God's name in vain, but it's never really bothered me. I see that just as I see the F word, just as I see all these other cuss words, and it doesn't necessarily bother me unless you're just using it, just be using it. But something that I saw one time on social media, I was looking through comments on somebody's posts, and somebody was saying that somebody had revealed to them that taking God's name in vain isn't necessarily cussing, isn't necessarily using GD, though it could, isn't necessarily saying, oh my God, or oh my gosh, or whatever, you know, isn't necessarily saying that, but taking taking God's name in vain is saying, well, God told me to tell you that you suck as a person, or God told me that we're going to get married as we're 13 year olds and middle school or high school or whatever. God told me to tell you this. And it's actually not what God said at all. And they kind of- crap prophecy. Yeah, crap prophecy. You know, people use God's name in vain to get what they want, to get something out of it. And that's not how God operates. Sure. And so I just want to take a minute here and go ahead and get the spiritual, you know, uh, essence out of the room. God damn, using that word. uh, Let's break that down what that means. God- it is a derivative word we use for Yahweh or uh, the the Israeli God who sent Jesus Christ as a part of himself, uh, you know, to for redemption, whatever, however you want to look at that. That's who we typically are referring to in God. God is a very subjective word. It is not like the name God is not God's name. You know what I mean? Like God has lots of names to him. So we're using this word meaning creator, right? So creator, I implore you to cast judgment or uh, damnation upon this. So if you're cruising at a stoplight and you just drop GD because someone cut you off, what are you damning? Are you damning the situation like, damn, that was rough? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then, okay, like I'm saying, I'm not encouraging you to start dropping GD. Like I'm not saying it's even a fun word and it's very societally frowned upon. So like, that, that you could go into the whole like, well, because it caused your brother to stumble. Yeah, I'm sure it probably could. It has for a lot of people, whatever. Yeah. Ultimately, is it going to like cause people to lose their faith? Probably not. But like, sure, we should probably steer away from that. Like Elaine was saying, there's a time and a place for cursing for certain things to express uh, feelings and emotions, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, you're not going to need that. But if you were to say like, God damn you, Satan, like get behind me or you know, God damn these bad thoughts I'm having. Yeah. Damn this uh, this self-loathing mentality I have because of past errors. Cast them out. I am free in the name of Jesus. Like, whoa, okay, you just dropped GD. It's a literal translation. Yeah, it's literal. Like, 
God, I want you to do this. Now, if you say uh, you pull up to a stoplight and someone gives you the bird and you're like, God damn that person, you're literally asking God to take another human soul and cast them out to to judge them. And I think God's going up, like probably sitting there like, I'm not going to do that. Sorry, I don't think you realize there's power in our words, right? Yeah. There's power in what we say. We have the authority over angels. We have the authority over the spiritual. We are a bridge, literally. We are the only creation on earth that is a bridge between uh, the spiritual and the in the physical. You know, the 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 earth, the reality, and the ether. However you want to look at it, we are literally that bridge. We are a bridge unit. God took earth and breathed spirit, and so. We have the ability to to do things on a supernatural, honestly, supernatural level to kind of get Pentecostal spooky a little bit about it. like that we have that. Well, and we were just saying like you can go, you can change God's mind, right? Like you have the the authority to, per, to help God decide somebody's fate or something's fate. So I don't think I should. You should be encouraged to go like I implore you, Lord, to damn that person for. Uh, making me work late. How dare he? No, that's that's ignorance, yeah. and that's that's a false. Uh, you're using God's name in vain. That is vanity. Vain, the derivative, vanity. And the definition of vanity, just to throw this out there, is excessive pride in or admiration of one's own appearance or achievements. Literally, like God, I am so good that I'm going to implore you to do this. Or uh, to look at it this way, like crap prophecy. This is one that kind of gets into my sins. Like, uh, oh, God's telling me that that you're just going to go work for these people and you're just going to serve them and you're just going to do anything for their just to uh to to boost them up or here's another one and I'm not saying servanthood that's a whole other conversation like I'm not dogging on that but it's the whole idea of like if you just serve your leaders God will reward your your efforts and he'll he'll elevate your platform right mm-hmm. uh, okay like I'm, I don't have anything against like coming and co-laboring with people but what is this? It's like, it's got a genie. What's going on here? No, like you're using God's name in vain to sit there and say like, well, God for your told own me glorification, right? You're literally trying to, to, yeah, it's for your glory. It's for, even if it's just like something simple of like, mm, man, God just revealed to me like this thing about your life or whatever. It, if it's prophetic, even if it speaks to that person, I'm not saying God can't even use that, but if it's in you for your own glorification to make you look better, that's vanity, and that is God's name in vanity, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of the whole thing of like the people in the Bible, the two uh, the two men going and trying to cast out demons in the name of God, and the demon literally overcomes them, right? Yeah. He's like, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but who the, who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> and he's literally, I mean, that's like literally what he said, like, they're damning the demons in the name of God. And the demon's like, no, like, I don't know who you are. Get out of here. And because they're speaking of an authority in which they do not understand. Yeah. And that's vanity. That is using God's name in vain. So it goes a mm-hmm. lot deeper than just GD. Yeah. So is GD God's name in vain? It depends on the context. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. But it does help to have a better understanding of what that means. Yes. Okay. So next question. Is God a big man on a throne? I mean, there's scriptures that say Christ sits on a throne with a rainbow circling him. Okay. I want to take, uh, this is not a question I want to spend a lot of time on. I just want to throw out like three points real quick. Yeah. 
one, most of those scriptures that are talking about that are actually tied into the Zodiac constellations. And it's literally talking about how the heavens worship Christ. I'm not denying there's a throne in heaven, but a lot of times what that is saying is literally, if you look at the four beasts circling the throne, that's with the face of a lion, face of an ox, face of a man, face of an eagle. If you look at the cardinal points in the four constellations that never move on the Zodiac, literally north, south, east, and west, it is a lion, an ox, a man pouring out water, which could be a lot of times is paralleled with Christ, and a scorpion, which in ancient, um, it is the only symbol that has two symbols, and if it is bad, it is a scorpion. If it is good, it is an eagle. So, creatures made entirely of eyeballs. We're talking about stars. We're talking about constellations constantly circling the heavens, right? It's all symbolism. Is that saying that God isn't real or anything? No, it's bringing beauty to saying like even the stars are worshipped. Science, God, mm-hmm. the creator of science is, is, is even being worshipped as the stars rotate. It's all his creation. And so the next thing, God's omnipresent. So how is he on a throne? Well, he's probably on a throne. He's probably on every throne. He's probably everywhere. It's symbolic of he's the king of all kings. Could he be sitting on a throne in a golden palace somewhere off in some ethereal dimension? Sure, that's completely possible. Not denying it, not saying he's not. But God is omnipresent. He's literally everywhere. And I think the beauty of this is saying that God is in everything and in everything we can worship him. When you look at the grass, he's in it. When you look at, uh, like he literally pumped himself into creation. He spoke his words or literally when you look at the chair you're sitting in, when you look at the headphones you're listening to this through or the device you're on, the material that's made from was made from God's voice. Like, Mm. boom, like everything in essence, is God. Sure, sin has corrupted God. There's all that kind of crap. There's corruption. But everything is made from the essence of God, especially us, whom he actually breathed into. It's not just a spoken word. It's a whole breath. You think of like when you speak a word, how many words can you get out in a single breath? I'm doing it right now, just seeing how many words can I get out in a single breath before I just have to take another one. But if I just go, think of how much essence that is. If you think of like a measurement, everything on earth is made from a sentence which is like a breath, or it's just two words. It's a little fraction of a breath, but you were made with a whole breath. You contain more of God than anything. So I would quit worrying about God as something distant and start taking him as something that's in you and literal and tangible. Also, with that being said, uh, and I'll shut up about this part, because like I said, I had just something real quick I want to say about it. God can be seen in everything and worshiped in everything. We don't have to go through these weird systems to worship God. It's, get, it's God is more simple than that. And also, maybe whenever it talks about God sitting on the throne, maybe it's not meaning, oh, he's looking down on you and he's judging you and he's up here and you can never reach that. I think it's just saying, like, he sits on a throne. He is exalted. He is in everything. He created everything. He is, quote, above everything, but not in a prideful way, but just, like, he oversees everything. Yeah. And there was another question we had. I'm just going to group it together for time's sake. It's, does God demand our worship? That literally ties in what we're just talking about. Yes, our worship is beautiful. It's talked about all throughout Bible. There's books of the Bible dedicated to it. But worship isn't what we think it is. Worship isn't going to church and bowing our heads at this right time or reading the Bible. Or It's all. It's, it's very specific. Uh, it's not this very specific thing. It's literally everything you do and everything you do, you know, Our bodies, you know, the whole idea of living sacrifice and everything you do, uh, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, when you go fishing, when you go to work, when you go to sleep, when you go to the bathroom, everything you do is to bring glory to Christ because you're a living vibration echoing his, 
you know, his frequency, basically. So, uh, is God a big man on a throne? Who knows and who cares? Because we're sitting here on Earth, and this is where we were told to dominion, and he's here too. So we don't have to worry about him there. If he wants to sit on a throne and everywhere else, he probably can. If he's omnipresent, that means he's sitting on the chair with you, next to you at the bus stop, and he's, yeah, literally with you everywhere. So, and the last question, Elaine, go ahead. Is God mad at you when you don't spend time with him? Hmm. So my question to you is this. What does it mean to spend time with God? I know a lot of people see this in ministry and are taught that you need to be in the Bible daily. You need to meditate on his word. And a lot of people have guilt if they're not reading the Bible every single day. A lot of people have guilt if they're not praying to God and, and saying amen and, and fall asleep during their prayer, you know? And, and a lot of people just feel guilty because they're not walking with God and they feel like God's punishing them because of that. They feel like God's angry because they're not constantly talking to God. They're not constantly talking about God. They're not constantly reading the scripture. And there's just a lot of people who just feel like they're being sinful and, and that God's just sitting there on a throne staring at them and mm -hmm. just super angry because they're not reading scripture. Yeah, that goes back to the whole mean kid with the magnifying glass and we're a bunch of ants, right? Like God's just up there just waiting. He's like, mm-hmm, yep, didn't show up again today. I see it. Or like, yep, you prioritize. You can go you can go play video games for an hour, but when did you read your Bible? Like you can go uh, to the movies and, and hang out with your friends, but when you spend in time with me, okay, like chill out for a minute. Let's back up. Let me encourage you and, and ask, what does it mean to walk with God, right? You know, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Yeah, God wants a relationship. And ultimately, that's what we were created as, is relationship, because God saw the value in creation, uh, in, in relation, and he literally split himself up among the, the billions and created life, right? Like, he literally took pieces of himself and embedded it in every single one of us so that he could express his desire for community. God is is almost like the centralized mind in essence, right? He is he is in all things and is all things and with all things. That being said, like, yeah, there's good in reading your Bible. There's, I mean, I guess, you know, like there's good in praying and stuff. There's but where is this guilt coming from? Where's what if I were to tell you that one of our greatest forms of worship is self-love? I feel like that would be like hugely frowned upon. Oh, we're just a bunch of filthy rags. What are you talking about? No, if you're calling yourself a filthy rag, you're discounting the value of the cross. You're discounting the value of Christ. You're literally discounting the work that was done. You're saying it was worthless, that the redemptive power of Christ isn't big enough. And that's ludicrous to think that. Like this whole like idea of like, oh, self-love is bad. You know, self-help is bad. All this stuff. Elaine, you're super passionate about this. Mm -hmm. Like this, I mean, you've gotten... And numerous talks about this where people have just often like, oh, self-help is bad. Like, you can't do anything without Christ. Okay, but there's people doing a lot out with there without Christ. Let's be honest. Like, there's a lot of people out there doing stuff without Christ. I don't know Steve Jobs' whole religious situation whenever he passed away, but he did a lot of amazing things for the world, right? Arguably some of, like, the most technologically um, big advancements, connecting people all over the globe, uh, changing the way we do so much, bringing so much joy into people's lives, Yet, I know for a long time he was a Zen Buddhist, right? Like, he went and meditated and, and like, was seeking out his spirituality other ways. Like, you don't—you can do a whole lot 
without a relationship with Christ. But you can do so much more with, with him, with right. God. And self-love isn't selfish. And I know a lot of people think it is because they feel like, well, they're glorifying themselves. They find pride in themselves. But if you're not loving yourself, how do you have that confidence of God? If, if you think that you're incapable of relating God's message or walking with God, if you're just constantly down in the dumps thinking crap of yourself. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand where we get off with that. I don't know why we have, really, it seems manipulative to me because it's empowering um, a building or empowering an organization. It's giving control over other people, over yourself. Right. And so it's kind of like the whole yes and amen mentality where you don't know how to say no. Like God's not in that. God wants you to learn how to say no. Uh, you know, Jesus had to say no numerous times in the Bible. He said no to many different people. He said no to many different meetings. Uh, he said no to Satan himself. Like no is a powerful thing. And we have this crazy thing of like it's this, this submission mentality and it kind of goes back to using god's name in vain because ultimately like i'm not saying every church is bad i'm not trying to say that but there's a lot of people trying to build up their little organization their little empire their little babble basically uh in the name of god and it's all in vanity and it's this whole um submit 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 and there's times to come together and co-labor, 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 but there's a big difference in the same word being used as either master or, uh, or excuse me, either slave or servant. To serve is one thing, but to slave is something completely different. I don't think God calls us to be his slaves, but I do think he calls us to serve alongside of him. Because Just as he serves us. Yeah, I mean, think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. What did he do before he died? He wouldn't wash some, some sinners' feet, right? He, he washed his disciples' feet, even the one that was going to betray him, even the one that was going to bring his downfall. He took the time to wash his feet. That is the most humbling thing you could do. To wash someone's feet is an act of servitude, is an act of submission. God submitted to man. Think about that. He submitted to man to show man the value, the value that he holds in them. And I just think that is just one of the most beautiful, beautiful things. So going back to the question, is God mad when you don't spend time with him? I think we need to reevaluate what it means to spend time with God. Because spending time with God is taking a moment to care for yourself too. His essence is in you, right? He's in us. Taking a moment to take joy in the cool, uh, crisp breeze on a nice fall morning. That's like, that's I'm talking because that's like Monty Lane's thing, right? Uh, taking joy in going to the beach on a nice summer day, taking joy in the beauty of creation, taking joy at the stars and how they were made to worship, taking joy at the love of your family and your friends. Those are all acts of worship. And there's nothing wrong with worship music as long as it's uplifting and not demeaning, which a lot of it can be, let's be honest. Uh, there's nothing wrong with reading your Bible and trying to understand. I encourage anyone to read and try to read with a new lens like Elaine is doing. But realize that it's kind of like the whole thing we said earlier. If you're worried about trying to worship God, you're probably worshiping God. If you spend too much time worrying, that's actually the opposite of worship. Then you're worshiping uh, the fear of, of belittlement. And that's a manipulation on who God is. And a lot of times that we're taught that you can only find God in the church, or that you have to show up to church every single Sunday, every Wednesday, every meeting, every volunteer session, whatever, that you constantly have to be at church. And that's the only way you can find God. We've actually heard people talk about that 
the four walls of the church is actually the safest place to be, and that's not true. No. You see a lot of abuse in that and control and power and authority and all of that stuff. But a lot of people really think that they can only find God or the best way to find God is is through traditional church worship, is through on their knees on the, in the pews or in a church service on, on Sunday morning. But you, you can find God there. But you can also find God in the mountains. You can also find God when you're painting. You can also find God in friendships and and romance and and family get-togethers and and deep conversations. You can find God even when you're alone by yourself in in prayer and meditation, even if you're not meditating or praying. Like, you can find God— In a nice book. In in a nice book. You can find God on a road trip, just listening to music with your friends. Like, and it doesn't even have to be Christian music— you know, you you can find God at a at a metal concert. You know, you there, you you can find God anywhere, and God's not mad at you if you're not showing up on church on a Sunday morning, especially if you are pursuing your relationship with Him outside of the four walls. Like God's not going to punish you for not showing up to a church service. And I just kind of sum it all up with this: something that gets talked about a lot in church is like, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. If God is omnipresent, he can't fill more of a spot. If you have a cup overflowing with water, you can't put more water in the cup, right? You get what I'm saying? Like, he is everywhere at once. The problem's on us. It's not, God, can you come fill this atmosphere? It's, can we accept and can we tap into God in this atmosphere? And that applies everywhere. God is as much in a church as he is in a strip club. I'm not saying go to a strip club to find God. I'm saying he's there. He is there waiting for people to say, hey, I feel the Holy Spirit. And then he can come in and do his work, right? He can come in and start bringing forth that fruit, start rejuvenating, start bringing life. God is everywhere. It's like a it's a constant stream we can tap into anywhere, everywhere, all the where, everywhere at once. And that is just the beauty of God. And the beauty of the relationship of having a relationship with God is as much as we're waiting on God to move and, and work on our behalf, God is actually waiting on us to work with him as well. And you can pray for God to show up. You can pray for God to deliver you from something. But if you are not willing to uproot yourself, if you are not willing to be obedient and not in the, well, just follow every rule and regulation, what people tell you. But if you want God to move, you also have to move yourself. And you, yes, you can rely on God when you no longer have strength, but God's not... I, I don't think in my head God is capable of moving if you're not capable of moving. Yeah, I mean, it says, like, we're the hands and feet of Christ. So he's the nerve center. But if we're not if we're not picking up the signals, we're not going to get very far. And those signals are everywhere. That's the beauty of God. Our question to you this week is simply, what are some questions you have about God? What are some questions you've always asked yourself about God? And how have they been wrong? We want to hear from you. Head over to TheRecklessPursuit.com, hop on our subscription list. There you can get our private emails. You can respond directly to us from those. We love it when you guys do that. And also, Nomads, a safe community for Christians to ask unsafe questions. We want you a part, and we want to hear your voice. If you get something out of this, we encourage you to share it on with a friend. That is the best way to keep the conversation going. We love every single one of you. And as always, be brave. Be bold. And be reckless. We'll talk soon.